This video was making the rounds on the internet a few months ago, and for those of you who may not be familiar with what's going on, let me catch you up to speed. The picture on the left is of a mother of six boys. She is pregnant, and this is her gender reveal. To find out if she will in fact have a seventh boy or if she will finally get lucky and have a little girl. So they bake a cake and inside the cake there's either going to be blue cake or pink cake and the picture on the right is when she cuts into the cake and sees pink icing. Her reaction is priceless. I couldn't put myself in that situation but I can only imagine what it would be like to have that sense of joy, to see something you've wanted for so long finally become reality. When you look at this, you think about her reaction. And everything in life causes us to react in a certain way. Whether it's what color a piece of cake may be, whether it's what happens at our job, whether it's what happens at our home, we find ourselves reacting on a daily basis. Chances are you probably watched the weather and you react based on if it's going to be hot or cold, wet or dry. You react on what food is in season when you go to a restaurant and order what's on your menu. But deeper than that, we react on a spiritual level. We react for every instance in life. And I want to give you just a couple examples of that type of reaction that we get. For instance, what are you going to do if you see this snake? Chances are your immediate reaction is fear. You want to be able to move away. You want to run. There may be five or six of you in here who are crazy enough to go towards it and to try to pick it up. But for most of us, our reaction is let's get away. But on the other hand, if you see a little puppy, exactly. Your reaction is the exact opposite. You want to cuddle it. You want to pet it. You want to play with it. You could spend hours with this puppy. It's all in how we react. Something else, regardless of how you feel about what's on the screen, you feel pretty strongly about it, don't you? Some of you are very, very pro and some of you are very, very anti. Some of you don't care one bit. But when you look at these political hot button issues, they trigger a reaction. How we react, how we talk, how we vote, how we think, it changes us. And then one more just to, to make the point, what would you do, how would you react if you saw this scene in your home? Some of you are probably grabbing the gun that was on the last screen to use on the burglar. Some of you are probably running into a closet and locking the door. You're finding your phone and dialing 911. You're going to a neighbor's house and some of you in all honesty are paralyzed by fear and you can't react. But in every situation, we find ourselves reacting. And so when you look at that and you think about that on a very spiritual level, you think that everything that happens causes us to react. And what I want us to do tonight in the time we have together is I want us to look at Jesus right before he ascended and he was talking to his apostles one final time. And he was very specific in how he told them to react and what their reaction should be to his promise. And so I encourage you, turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is going to be our home base for the evening. And as you're turning there, flipping there, I want to say thank you for letting me come back and spend a little bit of time with you tonight. It's been exciting to see a lot of old faces and to catch up with many of you. And I'm excited to 
do that again after the service. It's exciting and always good to hear of the work that's going on at Mount Juliet and to be able to say, you know, I was a part of that. I grew up and being out on my own, I'm so thankful for what is going on at Mount Juliet and proud to hear of of the work that you all are continuing to do. And so thank you for that. Thank you for letting me spend the time with you this evening. And I hope it will be beneficial for all of us in a very spiritual sense. And so what's going on in Acts chapter one? In Acts chapter one, turn with me and let's look at the first handful of verses and see what's going on. And these we'll dissect it a little bit more. Acts chapter one at the beginning of the book where it says, in the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is basically saying, In the gospel that I wrote, I presented the case for Christ. I told you about what he did. I told you about what he taught, how he rose from the dead and was alive on the earth for 40 days. That was what happened in Luke. That's his introductory. That's his summary of the previous book. But look with me at verses four and five, and this is really important, and this will really set the scene for tonight. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise, promise is a key word, to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And so we have a promise. We have a promise, but how are we going to react to that promise we have of the Holy Spirit? We have the Holy Spirit, we have that promise, and as we think about that, we've got to understand what the Holy Spirit was in the mind of Christ. And so the promise of the Holy Spirit was central to Jesus' ministry. If you want to mark Acts chapter 1, we'll be going back and forth between Acts and John most of the night, and turn with me to the beginning of the book of John. John chapter 1. In John chapter one, you have the familiar scene of where John the Baptist is very involved, where he's talking about the prophecy that has been done. He's baptizing people. And then we get to the baptism of Christ. And the reason we're looking at this is to reaffirm this promise of the Holy Spirit that we have. How do we handle the promise of the Holy Spirit? Because a promise is great, but until that promise becomes a reality, then we have a really hard time of taking that promise to the next level. If someone promises you a trip or someone promises you a car, that's great. You know you're going to get it, but once that gift or that promise becomes a reality, then it's confirmed. And so here's the promise of the Holy Spirit. Look with me in John 1, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who reigns before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, 
He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And so the promise of Jesus' ministry is twofold, the entire purpose of it. Number one, it was to take away sins. It was to offer us the salvation. It was to establish the new covenant, to do away with the old. That was the promise and the purpose of Jesus' ministry. The second part of that was to bring the Holy Spirit. And I know that the Holy Spirit is something that we don't always talk about. It's something that we can be a little weary of. But friends, when we have an understanding of what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do in our life, then that promise that we have changes everything. If you want to, just listen as I read a couple of verses from Matthew. In Matthew, the same account that we just read in John, Matthew 3, it says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after you, that is Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. And the very next thing that John the Baptist says, he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then at the end of the book in Matthew 28, as Jesus concludes his final words in the Great Commission where he says in 28, 16 through 20, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. The promise that had been given for so long had become reality. The promise of the Holy Spirit was here and Jesus gave his disciples the command to go and make disciples through the Holy Spirit. And so we have this promise of the Holy Spirit. But like we said, a promise is good, but when it becomes a reality, it's great. And so let's see that promise become a reality and shift gears in our thinking for just a minute and think about that power that comes through the promise. And so turn back with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 1 for just a minute. Acts chapter 1. And we'll pick up where we left off. Look with me in verses 6 through 8. Acts 1, 6 through 8, where it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And so long story short, God is in control. Time, power, space, anything that matters, God's got it in his hand. Verse eight, notice verse eight where it says, but you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we have the promise of the Holy Spirit. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have the purpose of the Holy Spirit. It says that wait in Jerusalem. Wait for me. Wait for this promise to become reality. Wait to receive the power. But what does that power really mean? What does that power look like? And so turn back with me to the book of John, but this time turn with me, if you would, to John 14. John 14, and this is where Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples the night before the events of the crucifixion begin to take place. 
This is the last time they would be gathered together before the crucifixion. And he is giving his parting words to his disciples. If you look in the Gospel of John, there are three or four chapters that detail this scene. And I want us to take a few minutes to look at just a few of those. But more than anything, to look at the power that comes through the Holy Spirit. And so in John 14, we'll begin reading in verse 12, and we'll read a few verses at a time and then unpack it a little bit more. So John 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I want you to let that sink in for just a second. Because it says that if you have the power of the Holy Spirit, that you will do greater works than what Christ was able to do. And so when you think about that for a second, you think about feeding the 5,000. Curing lameness, blindness, deafness, resurrecting people from the dead. And you say, okay, that's great. I feel like I was baptized into the Holy Spirit. I've got the Spirit living inside of me, but yet I'm missing that power aspect of it. And so we understand that the way the Spirit manifests itself in power is very different in the times of the Scripture than it is to us today. But nonetheless, you look at the power that we have. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have the spirit that was in Christ that Christ says, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then the promise, then the helper, then the Holy Spirit will never come. And you need the Holy Spirit more than you need me. Because Christ in his ministry, he was able to do a lot of tremendous work. What he was able to do changed the world. But what we get through the gift of the Holy Spirit changes the kingdom. And I know that's what we're committed to and that's what we're about, but we have to understand how to use the gift that we've been given. And so staying in John 14, let's keep reading a few verses. Uh, look with me at John 14, 15 through 17. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so the idea here is we get a sense of power through the helper. If I had to, I could take this podium and get it to the back of the auditorium. But it's not going to be pretty. I would have to lay it down on its side, drag it down. It would hit every step on the way. I'd have to drag it back 30 or 40 feet, tear up the carpet. It's not going to be pretty. I've got a little bit of power. I can get the job done, but it's not going to be good. But if I get four or five other people up here to help me with the podium, then we lift it up, we walk it down the stairs, and we have it to the back in three minutes tops. Where there is more help, there is more power. When you look at life... You live a life that says, you know, there's a chance that when I go into work in the morning, I'm going to get a pink slip. And that's a really hard reality to grasp. But when you have the helper living inside of you that says, you know, I may get fired tomorrow, but everything will be okay. It says I may not be fired, but I've got the spirit living inside of me that is directing me, that's guiding me, that is changing me, that is working through me. I've got the power. 
It may sound cliche, but we really do. We have the power that we need to get through this life, and we have it because we have the promise of the Holy Spirit. We can never have too much help, but for us to have the reality of the fact be that when we believe in God the Father, when we believe in Christ the Son, and we follow those commands, that we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. And again, we think about those words that say, it is to your advantage that I go away because if I don't go away, then you will never get the spirit. Christ has gone away. And friends, the spirit is ours to take advantage of. But let's keep reading. We're not done developing this point. I really want you to understand and to see how powerful the spirit really is in our lives. So let's keep reading. Look with me at verse 18. It says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will make yourself known to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the words that you hear are not mine, but the father's who sent me. Christ is revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. But you notice that love is pretty conditional. Three or four times we've looked tonight where it says, if you love me, if you obey me, then we will make our home in you. We will reveal the spirit to you. If you do not love me, if you do not obey my words, you're not my child. You don't know. And that's how Christ reveals himself to Christians and not to the world is through the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's what separates us. It's what makes us unique. It's what gives us that drive and the boldness and the courage. It's what changes who we are so that we can change the kingdom. And it all comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. When you think about the idea of being revealed, of learning more, I want you to think about the relationship you have with your best friend. And when you met your best friend for the very first day, chances are you didn't tell them your life story, your secrets, your dreams, your fears. You didn't have a lot of memories with them. But as time and the years go by, you begin to develop a few jokes. You begin to learn a little bit more about that person. And as time goes by, you feel comfortable enough that you can reveal everything about yourself to that person. And so it says that for those of us who love the word of God, who love the father and who love the son, it says that we will have the spirit revealed to us. And so we love the word of God. We spend time in it. We learn more about who God really is. We spend time in prayer. We love prayer. We develop a deeper relationship for the father. We reveal ourselves and before long we have the gift of the spirit living and dwelling and abiding inside of us. And we know who God, who Christ and who the spirit really is. And when we know who they are, we know who we are supposed to be. And so real quickly, there's a couple more verses I want us to look at. Look with me at verses 25 and 26 where it says, again, this is Jesus talking. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. 
But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. These are two areas we, we tend to overlook very easily, but I want you to notice another gift from the Holy Spirit. It is the gift of teaching and the gift of remembrance. If there's ever been a time where you've been talking about spiritual issues to someone and you don't know what to say, but then out of the blue, you just say the perfect words, Holy Spirit. And when we find ourselves, yes, we know we have to study, we have to be knowledgeable about the Word of God, but we also have the Holy Spirit that is guiding us. And then in verse 27, it says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. And so you look at that, and what I often say is, peace is what separates Christians from non-Christians. Yes, we have the Spirit, the Father, the Son, we have those things, but on a very earthly level, what separates Christians from non-Christians more than anything is peace. No matter what's going on at home, at work, in life, in the country, in the church, as Christians, we can have that sense that everything is going to be okay. And people in the world, they don't have the Father. They don't have the Son. They don't have the Spirit. They don't have the love. They can't say that with any certainty. But we have the spirit and we have the ability where we can say, it's going to be okay because I have the peace that passes understanding and that peace comes through the Holy Spirit. And so as we get ready to bring this lesson to a close, turn back with me if you would to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one and leave your finger in, in John 14. We'll be back there in just a second. I know we've been going back and forth. We have the purpose that we have. So we have the power of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of being a witness. Look with me at Acts 1 and verse 8 again. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You have the promise of the Holy Spirit, you have the power of the Holy Spirit, but you have it for a purpose. That purpose is to be a witness. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And friends, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria have already received the gospel of Christ. Now the responsibility is on us to get the gospel to the ends of the world. And so what does being a witness really look like? When you think of being a witness, you think of being able to say you saw something firsthand. You can recount it. You have the memories, the knowledge. In John 14, you think about the apostles and they were witnesses of Christ. They walked with him, talked with him, ate with him. They saw the miracles, they ate the bread, they did everything with Christ. They witnessed, but yet they still struggled. In John 14, beginning in verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his words. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the words themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the words that I do. And greater words than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 
The apostles saw it. They witnessed it, but yet they still said, show us the Father. How will you show us these things? And Jesus says, if you have seen me, you've seen God. If you've seen my words, then you've been a witness to the Father. And we can say the same things and we say, God, we can't see you. We can't see your son. He, we know you all are in heaven. We can't see the Holy Spirit, but we have the promise of good faith that says, believe in me and I in you and we will make ourselves known to you. And that is the promise and the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we have that promise and as we have that power, we have the call to go out and to be a witness. We have to witness the power of God and of the Holy Spirit every day, but to do so, we must first develop those eyes to see. We have to be willing to look for it. We have to have an understanding and a commitment to know when that's going to happen. And then just as a matter of conclusion and to tie this lesson together, look with me back in Acts chapter 1, and we'll finish out this section of verses. Acts 1, 9 through 11. And when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go up. And when you think about the very last words that Jesus could have said, he could have said, Thank you for your service in ministry. He could have said, I love you. He could have said, don't worry, we will come back. But he said, I want you to wait just a few more days until you get the promise of the Holy Spirit. And when you get the promise of the Holy Spirit, I want you guys to go to work. I want you to go out and take what you've seen, take what you've heard, take what you have and change the world. I want you to go to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to Mount Juliet, to Lebanon, to Knoxville. I want you to go to the ends of the world. And I want you to be my witness of the gospel. And as Jesus said those final words, the cloud came and took Jesus out of their sight. And it's interesting that after all of that, that Jesus said, what do you see the apostles doing? You see them kind of dumbfounded, looking up into heaven. And when you think about your life, and especially when in that spiritual sense, it is easy for us to find ourselves stopped and gazing and wondering at what's next. And we say, you know, there was a time in my life that I was stuck. It could be a death, it could be a divorce, it could be a life change, a birth, it could be jobs, moving, fill in the blank of whatever it is. And we can stop and we can fixate on that point in time. And we can say, you know, that, that at this moment, this is where my faith stopped. This is where I stopped growing, where I stopped changing, where I stopped evangelizing. This is where. And we can look into the future and we can say, oh, you know, someday when I get that promotion, you know, someday when I decide to start living the way that I'm supposed to live, we can say someday and we can look in the past and we can look in the future. But what good is that going to do us? And you think about the life of Christ and what he did and, and we can stop and we can look and stare at the cross. We can stare at the tomb. We can stare at the sky or we can go out and we can be a witness. We can go out and we can be a witness. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We've had that promise for two centuries. 
We've had that promise become a reality. We have that promise of what the, or the power of what the Holy Spirit really is, the teacher, the rememberer, the peace, the helper, the power. That is what the Holy Spirit really is. And on top of all that, we have the purpose. The reason that we have all those things is so that we can go out and so that we can be a witness. But to take advantage of that gift of the Holy Spirit, you know that it requires work on our, on our part. We have to be willing to give our life to Christ, to submit to his will and his authority and his teaching. And it's that opportunity you have tonight. If you need to put Christ on in the waters of baptism, I hope that you will consider now the right time. Maybe you find yourself broken and hurting in need of prayers of forgiveness, repentance, of strength. Whatever it may be, please make your needs known while we stand.